take out our Bibles, and we open them, and we see what God's Word has to say, and we want to understand it as clearly as we possibly can, and then we want to apply it to our lives so that we live our lives in submission to out there that wants to go to the Word of God to approve of what they already believe and of what they already practice. And true Christianity, true biblical Christianity, takes the Word of God and lets it reform us and let it instruct us. And so that's what we're going to do together this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 6 all the way through the end of chapter 2, verse 16. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 6 through 16. Paul writing to his brothers and sisters in a very secular, big city the city of Corinth. It would be like one of us writing a letter to our brothers and sisters, our fellow Christians in New York or Chicago or Los Angeles. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. That's really important. Verse 10 is is kind of the crux of what we're looking at this morning. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God, right? You understand what Paul is saying here? No one knows what you're thinking except you, your spirit. And no one knows what God is thinking except God's Spirit. Now, we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person, or the unspiritual person, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, we have the mind of Christ. Father, I believe that you are aware of how rich these verses are. And God, there are parts of these verses that I find complicated and parts of them even slightly confusing. I pray that your spirit, which is promised to us in these verses, that your spirit would come this morning and give us eyes to see, 
Give us hearts to feel and give us hands to obey what we read in your word together this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. When I was a kid, uh, I remember for years, my parents would pick up these two twin brothers and bring them to church every week. Some of you maybe have heard me. I've, I used this, I think, one other time as a sermon illustration um, here. So bear with me if you uh, remember this. Um, my parents would drive to an adult um, nursing facility for handicapped people. And there were these two brothers. And they were both blind since birth. Their names, I'm not making this up, were Morris and Maurice. Right? Their parents must have also had a sense of humor. Right? Morris and Maurice were t- twin brothers who had both been born blind and had been blind from birth. And they had some, uh, a few other handicaps as well. And my parents would bring Morris and Maurice to church. They couldn't drive themselves, obviously. And they wanted to be at church. And they, they kind of infused like, their own little life in, into, uh, into our church. They, they kind of sat toward the back, but they were, they were very verbal in their agreement with, you know, they were kind of like the ameners, right? Like they were, they brought life to our church and our church loved Morris and Maurice, but life for Morris and Maurice was really hard. It was really challenging. It was really difficult. It was a lot different than life for everyone else who had eyes that could see. I remember one time to my shame, I had been given the responsibility to walk them back out to our car after a church service and I wasn't paying attention, right? And so I've got Morris on one side and Maurice on the other, or was it Morris on this side? I don't remember who I had on which side, right? But three people abreast can't walk through a doorway. Um, and so one of the three of us didn't fare so well as we walked through the doorway. I got in trouble for that because I wasn't paying attention with the one very simple job I had been given, safely walk these men out to their car. That, I'm sure, was not the only th- hardship in their life, but life was hard for them because they couldn't see. The Bible describes those without Christ. The Bible describes those in whom the Spirit of God hasn't illuminated, done His illuminating work. The Bible describes them as being blind. Matthew chapter 13, verse 15 and following. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. What do we call someone who can't hear? Right, they're deaf. And they have closed their eyes so that their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. A few chapters later in Matthew, they are referred to as uh, the, the blind guides that are leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, what happens? They they both fall into the ditch. Second Corinthians chapter four says this, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded, watch this, he's blinded the minds of those who do not believe. They are unable, they're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ. 
who is the exact likeness of God. Last week, we, as we were working through uh, 1 Corinthians, we read through uh, the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 where Paul is describing this wisdom that's from God, this word of Christ that he's preaching. And he doesn't come with, with wise, eloquent words of man's wisdom, but he comes with, with humility and, and uh, trembling and not power, and, and he's not mighty. And he's, he's bringing this word of foolishness, this, this foolish message to people. And the Spirit of God is the one who has to help them understand. See, it's a problem. It's a big problem that we're described as those who are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. People need to be able to see spiritually. They need to be able to see. So how can we go from being blind spiritually to being able to see spiritually? How does that happen? This passage is one of the passages that God has given us to help us understand how we go from being blind and unable to see the glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to being able to see and having vision. Again, imagine the challenges and the difficulties, the, the things that would be impossible for someone who has no physical, visible um, capacity to then being able to see and to see fully. Here's, here's my main point this morning. It's a it's just a, a sentence, and then we're going to unpack this one sentence, and we're going to look at it in three divisions uh, together this morning, all of it right just real clearly from the passage here. The main point this morning is this. The wisdom of God is revealed by the Spirit and results in a new mind. I could, I could have worded that a number of different ways. The wisdom of God is revealed by the Spirit and results in the ability to see I'm trying to use language that's just right out of the passage when I talk about be, having a renewed mind. At the very end of the passage this morning, verse 16, but we have the mind of Christ. That's why I'm talking about a renewed mind. The wisdom of God is revealed by the Spirit and results in a renewed mind or the ability to see. First of all, this, the wisdom of God, verse 6 through 9. Among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, they're doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. A secret and hidden wisdom of God. Now, we might not like those words secret and hidden. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But what is it that Paul is revealing? He's revealing, he's imparting the wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. This wisdom that the Apostle Paul is, is teaching the people at Corinth, this message of the apostles is not the message of the world. It's not the wisdom of this age. It's not this world's wisdom and this culture's way of explaining how life works and what the worldview of this age is. Now, as we, as we read here about the wisdom of this age, please understand the difference between the wisdom of this age and just the truth about this world. All, all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. The fact that 2 plus 2 equals 4, that's, that's true. The fact that the, let me make sure I get this right, the earth revolves around the sun, right? I'm, I don't want to get that one wrong. Um, that's, that's God's truth. The, the fact... Um, 
the, the facts that we learn in this world, these are, these are things that are true. That's not the wisdom of this age. That's not what the, Paul is referring to as the wisdom of this age. By the wisdom of this age, what Paul is referring to, the Bible is referring to the world's system of thought and values that puts itself at odds with God and His Word. Do you ever read the Bible and then listen to the authoritative voices on the radio, on the television, conservative or liberal, and think that that doesn't, that doesn't square with what God's Word says? Even other religious voices, other denominations, other, other televangelists, what have you. And you hear their voice and you think that, that, doesn't, square, that doesn't square with what God's Word has to say. It's the, it's the wisdom of this age. The wisdom of this age would state things like the world came to be by random chance and, and not divine creation. The wisdom of this world would say that to live your life according to an ancient religious text is unenlightened and foolish. But this age's wisdom and those who follow it, look at the end of verse 6. The wisdom of this age and those who follow it, what's the result of those who follow the wisdom of this age? The Bible describes them, them as they're, they're doomed to pass away. That's, that's one of those phrases that's, that's heavier than we might initially assume and expect. They, they are doomed, they're doomed to pass away. We're facing... In, in our world, we face, we face the wisdom of this age in, in conflict with the wisdom of God's Word. We aren't facing something new or different. The people, the Christians who lived in Corinth lived in a very modern city. They lived in a, very, um, a city full of knowledge and insight with philosophers. They, they lived in one of the most modern cities of their day. And they, they lived in a culture where the wisdom of their day looked at them and said, it is foolish for you to believe what you believe about this crucified Messiah. We aren't facing something new or something different. I think it may be our tendency to think that things are worse than they've ever been. I can assure you, for those of us who live in the United States of America, things are not worse for us than they've ever been. We, we, we still have it remarkably good. In fact, arguably, we may have it easier than any generation of Christians have ever experienced. Okay, So let's, let's, let's not say that we have it worse than anyone else has it. That, that's just not the case. But this world system is pushing against the truth of God's Word. And so for us, when we listen to leading atheists, Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens, or even to listen to someone like a Joe Rogan who just argues against the, the wisdom from God's Word and, and it explains how foolish it is to believe in this ancient religious text. Or whether it's a philosophy professor or a science teacher talk about the foolishness of the Christian message. This is nothing new. Paul says they're going to receive it and they're going to perceive it as foolish. Look in verse 7. We impart wisdom from God, which God decreed before the ages. This wisdom is a wisdom from God. 
And it's referred to here as secret and hidden. Now, when we hear the word secret and hidden, we have the idea of something that's buried away so that no one can know about it and no one can understand it, right? A secret handshake, something whispered in a, in a dark alley, a, something that, uh, that no one else is supposed to know about. And that's, that's actually not what these words secret and hidden are, are meant to, to communicate. The, the idea throughout the New Testament, the gospel is often referred to as, as a mystery. It was something that wasn't fully understood in the Old Testament. There was some understanding that there was a Messiah who was going to come to deliver, deliver, to deliver God's people. And in the New Testament, that, that mystery is revealed, that secret is made known, that what, what was veiled and covered and, and hidden, quote-unquote, hidden and secret, is now put on display for all to understand and for all to see. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, the mystery was made known to me by revelation. How did Paul come to know the mystery? By the revelation of the Spirit. That's what he's referring to there in Ephesians chapter 3. That's what he's describing at length here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The details of the Messiah weren't perfectly, clearly, exactly understood by Old Testament saints. So his, his first coming, at his first coming, Jesus comes, and now this mystery is revealed. The secret is made known. What was hidden is made clear. And, and by the way, this is just a little bit of a side note. Brothers and sisters, I, I believe that his second coming is going to be very similar to his first coming in, in this regard. When Christ came the first time, many who studied the Scriptures and knew them well didn't anticipate his coming the way he came. And I have a feeling that his second coming, this is, okay, I'm stepping outside of clear biblical instruction right now, and I'm just, I'm just telling you, like, I, it's my belief, it's my sense that his second coming might be very similar. Right, there, there are many Bible theologians who have charts and maps and dates and stargazing guides and blood moons and red heifers, and they, they know, they know when Jesus is coming back. They've got it, they've got it nailed down. And I'm kind of, I'm of the opinion that he's gonna come back I, I, I'm absolutely certain he's going to come back. And I have a feeling the second time he comes back, we're going to go, oh, huh, that's exactly what was written. I just would have never seen it play out that way. My personal, I'm not even sure if the other pastors in this church agree with me on that position. That's just me saying he's going to come back. I think it could be today. I hope it's after lunch. Um, and then you notice I said after lunch instead of before lunch. Um, he can come back before lunch. That'd be fine too. Marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm sure will will be sufficient. Um, that was um, if anyone was editing my sermons, I would ask them to edit the last five minutes out. But no one's going to edit it, and no one's going to watch it anyway. So uh, not worried about it either way. God became a human in order to live the life that you and I failed to live and then die as a human for the creatures that rebelled against him so that, they could, so that he could then extend eternal life to them so that they could be reconciled with him. And when I put it that way, it sounds a little bit foolish, doesn't it? The God who created people and those people rebelled against him, and so then he becomes incarnate, and becomes a human, and he dies to fix your problem so that you can then be reconciled with him. Do you see why the world might look at the message of the cross and the message of Christianity and go, yeah, that's a little weird. Uh, I'm not in. 
I got better ways to explain the world, and I got better things to do with my time than spend it with you on a Sunday morning. But before, before the ages, God decreed the message of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, I believe, I believe this. I believe the scripture teaches, and this being one of the passages where this is made clear, that before God created, before God spoke the world into existence, in the ages before that, he knew that his plan of redemption would, would someday come to pass. Verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Obviously, Pilate and the Pharisees didn't believe in this wisdom from above, it was, it was just too foolish. The message of a crucified Savior was just too foolish. I mean, the gospel, often, often we hear things like this. Be a wise person and be sure to give your life to Jesus. He'll rescue you and he'll give you health, wealth, and prosperity. He'll give you social standing. But the discipleship that Jesus himself offered demanded soul-crushing humility Jesus said, if you want to be one of my followers, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That goes contrary to the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom says, add Jesus to your life. It's going to make life better for you. You're a smart person. You can see the wisdom in this transaction. Flex your spiritual muscle and show what a wise person you are. Add Jesus to your life. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. And now here's an instrument of torture and death, the cross. Take that up and follow me. That, is, that crushes humility. And friends, this is a message that no human would have come up with. Look in verse 9, as it is written, quotation from Isaiah, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. I didn't know what that meant until I studied that this week. What Paul is saying here is no one would have come up with this. You wouldn't have come up with this. You wouldn't have seen it. You wouldn't have heard it. Your heart wouldn't have imagined the word of the cross. You wouldn't have come up with the gospel as a way to fix your problem and solve your solve the biggest problem that you have. No man would have come up with this plan. Adam and Eve didn't eat of the fruit in the garden and then run and hide and think, oh, shoot, we blew it. Huh? I'm not sure what all is going on here, but I didn't know I was naked, but we need to hide. And when we talk to him again, we need to have a plan. I tell you what, right? And Adam and Eve are consor con consorting, talking. I'm just going to use the word talking. Talking back and forth with each other. And Adam goes, hmm, let's see, maybe if we're really, really good, maybe if we promise, promise, promise that we're going to be really good, uh, he'll, he'll forgive us and we can get back into good standing with him. And he says, no, no, that'll never work. That'll never work. We could never be good enough. I tell you what, let's ask him to come and take on humanity and ask him to live what we were supposed to live. But, man, since we blew it, we have to take the punishment. Oh, I know. We'll ask him to die the death that we were supposed to die. And then, like, he, he'll take our death, and, and, and we'll ask him to give us his life. And, right? Like, Adam and Eve aren't in the garden, like, garden trying to figure out how this was going to work. There was no eye that would have ever seen this. There was no ear that would have ever heard this. There was no human heart that would have ever imagined the plan of the gospel. That's, that's what verse... 
9 means. I didn't know that. No human being would have come up with these things. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. No one would have come up with this plan. So who is going to understand this? Who, who is going to understand this? If no eye is going to see it and no ear is going to hear it and we're born blind and we're born deaf and we're born dead because of our trespasses and sins, then, then who is going to see? Well, number two, it's revealed by the Spirit. Point number one was the wisdom of God. Number two is revealed by the Spirit. The wisdom of God is revealed by the Spirit. So we're point number two is revealed by the Spirit. But all I'm doing is just taking the main point and, and dividing it out into three, into, into three points. The wisdom of God, secondly, is revealed by the Spirit. These things, verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, etc., etc. Verses 10 through 14 are, are under point number two here. Only those to whom the Spirit of God reveals these things are those who understand these things. Verses 10 through 12 explain how God's Spirit helps us understand God. How can you know what I'm thinking? There's only one way you can know what I'm thinking. You might say, I know what you're thinking. You could try that, and you might get close sometimes, but I'm just telling you, sometimes I'm in my nothing box. Right? Some of you know what I'm talking about, the nothing box, right? Women don't have a nothing box. Men do have a nothing box. You've heard this comedian before, right? Like men, men's minds are like boxes, right? And they're like in the work box or in the clean the garage box or the read my Bible box or I'm a parent box or whatever. And, but men have a, a, a nothing box. And you, you can see a man sitting there and walk up to him and, and ask, what are you thinking about? And he can honestly answer with the answer, nothing. And he really, like, isn't thinking about anything. If you could visualize what was in his head, there would be a box. And there wouldn't be anything in it. Women don't have nothing boxes, right? Women's, uh, this is, um, please don't be offended. I think it's funny, right? I think we're all laughing. Um, but it's, like, it's also, it's like, actually, my wife's not in here. She would agree. She actually brought up the nothing box the other day. She's like, you're in your nothing box. And she's like, I, but a woman's mind is like one wire that's just everything is touching everything else. There's no such thing as a, I'm only thinking about one thing. I'm thinking about everything simultaneously. Now I'm going to talk to you about one thing. And so my wife, she, she, brought, she was like, ah, I'm thinking about everything. And she looked at me and she's like, you're in your nothing box. Um, I, that's not in my notes. We can edit that out later as well. Um, I'm trying to remember why I was talking about this. Okay, I'm just going to jump right back in to my notes here. Verses 10 through 12 help us. Oh, yes. How can you know what I'm thinking? The only way you can know that I'm what I'm thinking is if I tell you what I'm thinking. The only way you can know the mind of God. This is huge. This is really important. The only way you can know the mind of God is if he tells you what he's thinking. And these verses, verse 10 through 12, um, who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person, right? That's what I'm telling you. The only way you can know what I'm What's in my spirit is if I tell you what's in my spirit. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. The spirit of God knows what God is thinking. 
Now, we've not received the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things free. So the spirit, the Holy Spirit comes to us. And look, watch my hand. You know the old pull chain lights? There's a light bulb on the ceiling, and then there's the pull chain. The spirit of God turns the light on, and you see. The spirit of God is the one who makes you to see. Verse 13 This message Paul is preaching is a spiritual message from spiritual people illuminated by the Spirit of God. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Friend, this is a very humbling passage. You were not born a Christian. The Bible says we're born in our trespasses and sins. So you're not born a Christian. You may have been born into a Christian family. Your parents may have been Christian. You may have gone to church your entire life, but no one is born a Christian. You have not always been a Christian. You did not become a Christian because you know a good deal when you see one. You did not become a Christian because you were living life and it occurred to you one day that what you wanted was God and you'd start seeking Him to find Him. Romans 3 states clearly, this is all through the Bible, no one seeks for God. No one seeks for God. Look in verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So again, I ask you, who, who is going to understand this? How are you going to understand this? It's only those upon whom the Spirit of God works first. The first step in your salvation is not you stepping toward God, but God stepping toward you. The first step in your salvation is not you stepping toward God, but God stepping toward you. He is the divine initiator of your salvation. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at a couple of other passages. This is all through the Bible. I'm going to try to point you to two very clear passages that help us understand that your salvation is divinely initiated. You weren't seeking for God and found Him. No one seeks for God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Friends, that's describing me. That's describing you. This isn't like the bad people out there. This is describing you and I prior to conversion. Because verse 3 makes it clear, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, Look at the end of verse 3, like the rest of mankind. Look, that's us. We, were, we did not seek God. We were of our father, the devil. We were living according to the desires of the body and of the and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
verse 4. In verse 4, those first two words I have in a, in a big circle. Two of the most important words in the, entire, in the entire Bible. But God, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were of your father the devil. You were living according to the flesh. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, how did we come to be made? How did we be, become alive? He, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with us in the heavenly places. Verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's not your own doing. It's not your own doing. You didn't take the first step. It is a gift of God. It is not a result of your works. If it was a result of your works, then you would boast. But it's not a result of your works so that no one will boast. Turn over to John, the Gospel of John. John chapter 9. Uh, I'm sorry, John chapter 1. Verse 9. We're talking about eyes that can't see, blinded eyes that can't see being made to see again. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 9. He was in the world. Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Okay, that's describing you again. You don't know him. The world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born, look at verse 13, let your eyes see these words, I'm not making stuff up, who were born, how were they born? How were they born again? How were they made alive? They were born not of blood, right? So it wasn't a physical birth that they were, how they were born again, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. It wasn't your will that initiated, but of God. God is the divine initiator. The Spirit of God must turn the lights on for someone to understand the wisdom of God. Charles Spurgeon, in describing his own conversion, this is an incredibly powerful quotation, Charles Spurgeon, when describing his own conversion, he says this. I've got a lengthy quotation here, Jay, so that, did you put that shorter quotation on the screen? I don't need it up there yet. Um, you'll, you'll hear when I get to it. And if you don't have it, that's okay. When I was coming to Christ, this is Charles Spurgeon, the great British pastor of 100 years ago. When I was coming to Christ, I thought I was doing it all myself. And thought I sought the Lord earnestly. I had no idea the Lord was seeking me. I do not think the young convert is at first aware of this. One weeknight, the thought struck me. This is Spurgeon talking about himself. How did you become a Christian? I sought the Lord, I thought. But how did you come to seek the Lord? The truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought him, 
unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. That's the Spirit of God turning the light on for someone. The truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. I prayed, thought I, but then I asked myself, how came I to pray? I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures. How came I to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so? Then, in a moment, I saw that God was at the bottom of it all and that he was the author of my faith. And so the whole doctrine of grace opened up to me. And from that doctrine, I have not departed to this day. I desire to make this my constant confession. I ascribe my change wholly to God. Charles Wesley, in his great old hymn that, I don't know if we've sung it here in a long time, but I think it's probably in our hymnals, And Can It Be? It's kind of thick language here. Let me read to you one of the verses where Charles Wesley writes, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. He's describing the sinfulness of his soul. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. He's describing himself in prison, in shackles, unable to deliver himself. And the, the eye of God diffused a quickening ray, a beam of light that brought life into his dungeon and set his bonds free and made his heart live again. God was the initiator. God was the one who saw him in his, in his prison and set him free. And friends, if you struggle with this, if you struggle with God being the divine initiator, why do you struggle with this? Why is it that we would struggle with that? It's such a blow to your wisdom and your strength and your spiritual savvy, in your good sense, you would not have chosen God had he not first chosen you. We love him because he first, what? Because he first loved, why do you love God? You love him because he first loved you. That's a blow to our pride. Of course it is. Look in chapter 2, verse 5. Of first, we're back in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry. Back in 1 Corinthians. So look, look back up into the verse just before this passage that we're looking at this morning. That your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Look, God saves you in such a way that when you clearly understand that it becomes abundantly obvious, I can give praise to no one but God. I wasn't smart enough and wise enough to figure this out on my own. My salvation is 100% based on the grace of God. I am saved because of him, not of works, lest any man should, what? Boast. Of course we would boast. If there was any, any percentage of your salvation that was dependent on your smarts, your wisdom, your seeking after God, we would boast in that. 
But God says, let those who boast, boast in this, that they know me, that God is great. I was lost. I was dead. I was damned. I was not seeking God. And yet, God saved me. Praise God. It's the only scenario that makes sense for us to praise God. Otherwise, we would praise us. The song that we sing fairly regularly around here, Oh Great God. One of the verses says this, I was blinded by my sin. What are we talking about? The ability to see, right? I was blinded by my sin. I had no ears to hear your voice. I did not know your love within. I had no taste for heaven's joys. Do you know the next line? Who knows the next, next line? Anybody? I don't even know. Yeah, then your spirit, then your spirit gave me life. Right? I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice. I didn't know your love within. I had no taste for heaven's joys. Right? That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Then verse 4. But your spirit gave me life, opened up your word to me. Through the gospel of your son, gave me endless hope and peace. We love him because he first loved us. Now, some of you may be thinking, some of you are very introspective. Some of you are very um, sincere and careful, and you're thinking, okay, like, has, has it happened to me? Like, has God's Spirit illumined me? Has God's Spirit worked in me? How, how can I know, how can I know that that's me? Do you believe that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? The natural man does not believe that. Do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth was God in the flesh and was crucified for the sins of mankind? The natural man doesn't believe that. Do you want that Jesus to be your Lord and to be your Savior from your sin? The natural man does not believe that. If you believe those things, if you desire those things, do you know why you believe those things and you see those things? Because the Spirit of God has given you eyes to see them. Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. No eye would see that. No ear would hear that. No heart of man would imagine that for himself. The Spirit of God is what has allowed you to see and believe that. And friends, if you see that this morning and you believe that, 100% of the praise goes to, to God, goes to the grace of God in your life. And thirdly and quickly, this results in a renewed mind. The wisdom of God is displayed, is, is communicated to us by the Spirit of God, and it, it changes us. It results in something new. The person in whom the Spirit of God has done his work of illuminating, that person can walk through life with his eyes open. Sometimes, uh, maybe some of you have even seen this before on the news or on a YouTube clip or something, someone who was born blind or maybe had been blind for a long time and they have a surgical procedure that's done that allows them to see. Like, if any of you ever watched something like that, like this is a move you to tears kind of video clip where you see someone who hasn't been able to, see their spouse or their children or something like that. And, and through the amazing 
work of doctors and surgeons. They're, they're given the, the capacity to see. And can you imagine how that would change your life, being given the ability to see? Friends, when God gives you the ability to see spiritually, it has that kind of impact. It changes you like that. You get to live life now seeing. It's incredible. Verse 15 says, The spiritual person judges all things, sees things spiritually, but is himself to be judged by no one. Please, please don't. Kids, you know, if your parents are correcting you, don't say, I'm a spiritual person and I'm to be judged by no one. Okay? Students with your teachers, that's not what this is talking about. Businessmen, you go out into the community and you say, I'm a spiritual person and I'm to be judged by no one, right? That's you completely misunderstanding what this passage is all about. What this means is that his spiritual understanding will not be judged by those with their eyes closed. He's got his eyes open, and those with their eyes closed will not bring a judgment against him that disproves what God has shown him. Verse 16, who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? No, no one instructs the Lord. He instructs us, and he's now graciously given us the mind of Christ. One more passage to turn to, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We'll get there in just a second. So the Spirit of God renews our mind and we see, we see that we were dead and now we're made alive. We see that we weren't seeking Him and He sought us. We see that it is only by His life and death that we have life now. We now live in light. We now live with eyes open. We, we live in light of the gospel. We understand ourselves in light of what Christ has done for us and we see others in light of what Christ has done for them or has provided for them. We want to share this foolish message, trusting that the Spirit of God will make it a wise message for those that we share it with. We treat others with, an, with the understanding of the gospel. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, being, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This mind of Christ is one that allows us to see what God has done for us and to be humbled by that and then to go into this world and live humbly because we see what Christ has done for us. So, so what do we do? What do we do? What's, in conclusion, what do we do? For we share the word of the cross. We communicate the message that may sound foolish, but it's the power of God unto salvation. Share this message with others and trust the Spirit of God to open the eyes of the blind. Pray for the Spirit to open the eyes of the blind. It's not your place to convince people of the truth. It's your place to put the truth in front of them as clearly and as faithfully as you can. You don't have to have eloquence and perfect wording. Paul's making that clear already in chapters 1 and 2. And thirdly, live your life with a humble mindset of Christ. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to ask 
Will to come and the musicians to come. We're going to segue into the Lord's Supper here. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ for your, to, to be your personal Lord and Savior, maybe this morning the Spirit of God has begun moving and, and you're seeing, you're understanding, you're believing these things. That, that's not because you're smart and wise and clever. It's because the Spirit of God is being gracious to you. Don't, don't run past. Don't run away. Don't hurry up and get through the morning. Submit your life to Christ. Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Father, thank you for sending your spirit to help us understand it. And as we celebrate the gospel through the Lord's table this morning, Father, I pray that you would warm our hearts with this great, glorious good news. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning... We take the Lord's Supper. What it is is a memorial. We are commemorating. It is for Christians. It is for those who have come to know Christ through repentance.